for those of you who uh, have ever played catch with your dad outside, or for those of your parents who play catch outside with your kids, um, there's a part of you that doesn't want to bother the child too much. You want them to enjoy playing catch, and so if you correct every single thing, keep your elbow in, put your body like this, lead with your front foot, um, no, don't catch it with your face, you know. Uh, use the glove, open it. Um, too many rules and too many regulations can be off-putting and make playing catch either boring or very frustrating. But there's a dilemma there, isn't there? Because if you just say, well, go out there and do whatever you want. Go ahead, catch it with your face. Wear the glove on the opposite hand, doesn't matter. Um, the child won't learn how to play catch, let alone play the sport. And as we read through Scripture, we have, to, we have to grapple with the portions of Scripture that push on us, and after pushing on us, the other portions that push us further still. And many passages of Scripture, immediately you feel the push, where God communicates, that's not good enough, that is not right, that is not holy, that is not clean, this needs to be fixed, this needs to be handled. And after a few chapters of that, you're like, okay, I get it. No, you don't get it. More chapters, more verses, more examples of this idea of uncleanness and a lack of preparation to be in God's holy presence. And so as soon as we think we start getting it, God pushes a little further and like, you still don't get it. And the reason why he does that is love. He, he wants to communicate what needs to be communicated to be in his presence. As we look at these chapters that we'll look at today in Leviticus, we're going to be pushed a little further than we were even last week and the weeks before. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up and we'll bring you one. Leviticus is not hard to find. It's the third book in the Bible. And we'll find ourselves today in chapter 12. We're going to go through chapter 15. We're not going to read every single verse we're going to pick our spots. Okay, I'm going to pick our spots. But uh, we will move through it to try to capture what is happening in these passages. And you're going to feel the push right out of the gate. And a lot of that push is going to be felt maybe more starkly by the women of our congregation. Let's just look at the first five verses of chapter 12. I think you'll feel you'll feel that resistance, that distancing from God. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. Now there's a lot there that should, that should be pushing on you. First of all, what in the world is the problem with birthing a child? Why does that make a woman unclean? She cannot come to the sanctuary. She cannot touch holy things. She cannot approach uh, God's presence. 
If she bears a child, and at first it looks like, okay, this is if you bear a male child. No, if you bear a female child, it's twice the length of time for purification. So she needs to be unclean for seven days for a male child. She needs to be unclean for 14 days for a female child. Then the purification lasts for 33 days, in verse 3, for the male child, but 66 days for the female child, in verse 5. Now, scholars wrestle with why the double amount of time for uh, a female child over a male child? It doesn't give us the exact reason. I think the best explanation that's out there uh, is what immediately comes to my mind when I read it, and it's that uh, if uh, this particular portion of Scripture, verses 1 through 5, is speaking to the uncleanliness of the way of the woman as it pertains to giving birth to children, uh, and that is something specific to womanhood, and so the female child has that in her future, and so it doubles up the time of purification. The point is that giving birth to a child doesn't make you unholy, but it makes you unclean. It means you cannot be in God's presence. It's nothing to repent of, and there's nothing here of confession. It is not a sin. Remember back in Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. It's a command. All of the Old Testament treats barrenness as almost a judgment of God. And giving birth to children, I mean, blesses the one whose quiver is full of them. Have children. This is a beautiful thing. This is a great thing. This is a God thing. Fast forward to Psalm 139. Uh, we're reminded that God is the one that creates in the womb. He knits the life together in the mother's womb. It's God's action. She's unclean. She needs to be purified. So even though there's no repentance or confession necessary, look at verses 6 through 8. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. Wow, atonement? Forgiving birth? Now, some, some preachers will say, well, it wasn't forgiving birth. It was for all that time that she missed. She wasn't tithing. She wasn't approaching the sanctuary. Uh, maybe she sinned during that time, but she couldn't offer an offering for atonement because she can't approach while she's in this period of purification and cleansing. Yeah, maybe, but it doesn't say if she sinned in the interim. It just says, after the cleansing is done, you will sacrifice an animal for atonement. Not if something happens. So I think the atonement is actually connected to the delivery of a child. The atonement is not for the child. There's nothing unclean about the child itself. It is uh, the fluid related to the birthing of the child. It's the blood. But she's unclean. And atonement is necessary. Meaning, every time a child was born, some animal had to die to cover the uncleanness of the woman. Why? 
And the reason why I say this pushes on you is because if Scripture were to say, look, if you steal from somebody, as we've seen in Leviticus already, if you do something to somebody, you have to get atonement for that. And we can kind of get that. I did something wrong, right? Then we got into the portion of animals. And there's certain unclean animals that you can't touch. There's certain unclean animals that you can't eat. And we're like, okay, kind of weird, but I guess, look, I can steer from it. Just don't eat these kind of animals. And if I don't, I guess that's my fault. And we need a, we need a, a system to, to cover for that. But then now it's like, look, even something I've commanded you to do, it's done in a kind of an unclean way, and you need to be atoned for that. Even something that's a blessing, it ends up in a blessing, but the process of that blessing is dirty and bloody and it's unclean, and you need to be, you need to be atoned for that. Go have babies. This is pushing you farther than Leviticus has ever pushed you because it's not your fault. You can't have a baby any other way but to have it in a way that would deem you unclean. So it feels like you're between a rock and a hard place. Why would we need atonement for something that we didn't do in a rebellious way? Why would we need atonement for something that we didn't, we didn't intentionally do in a way that is a, a disobedient act to God? Well, he pushes deeper. He takes it farther. Unclean uncleanliness that is out of our control like childbirth or like skin disease in chapter 13. Nobody even back then went out and grabbed skin disease. I'll take three skin diseases with an extra large fry on the side. Like Nobody wants it. It just happens to you. But if it happened to you, you need to get it examined by the priest. And if it indeed is a... uh, Skin disease that is not simply going away, it's, it's not just a, a top skin issue, but it goes deeper than the surface of the skin. You are deemed unclean and you were quarantined. Look at the first three verses of chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, and he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. So if you see, your Bible might have a little footnote, uh, a little number next to the word leprous, leprous disease, because it wasn't really leprosy. This is just the word that was, has been used for a long time to translate it. Um, but it, it wasn't leprosy. It's just various kinds of skin disease. And then you have a long section on how the instructions that are given to the priest on how to check this out. Is this just a surfacey thing or is this a, a deeper issue? And you get that in verses 3 through 44, um, the priest examining this swollen, swelling, reddish, maybe pussy, flaky skin disease. It can be any number of skin diseases. And if after examining it, the priest comes to the conclusion that the person does have a skin disease that is, needs to be quarantined, then the person would be quarantined. Then it pushes even into garments in verse 47. So that garments themselves, if they are diseased, quote-unquote, you can think mold or mildew or something that's in the fabric that stinks, it's probably uh, it's discolored, 
And so this is something that is associated with rot. If you look at chapter 13, verse 55, you shall burn it in the fire whether the rot is on the back or on the front. So it's a rotting material, it's decaying. And so the priest would check that out, try to wash it. Very practical, try to wash it, doesn't really come out, check it, check it a few days later, it's still kind of dirty. You would either burn it or cut that thing out and patch it. But there's disease of the skin, there's disease of the fabric that is worn over the skin. And then what do you do with someone who's diseased in the skin if they're quarantined and then they heal? The skin disease goes away. Well, they need to be cleansed, and they need to be brought back into the community, but to be brought back into the community means that they need to be able to have access to the sacred area, and to have access to the sacred area, which means to approach God, it required sacrificial death. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, this is important. The, law, the, the leper or the diseased person is all cleared up. There's nothing on their skin, but death has to happen. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 1 of chapter 14, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. Now here's what happens with the two birds. The priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed for the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. Then the leper goes and does the cleansing and the washing, and then the leper, quote-unquote leper, I mean, whatever the skin disease was. So this person did not ask to have a skin disease. This person didn't intentionally go out seeking a skin disease. Who in the world would want to be kicked out of the camp? And you can't be with your wife. You can't be with your kids. No more playing catch no more feeding the goats. You can't do anything. You can't do your career, nothing. You are out on the outside of the camp. Until when? Until it clears up, if it ever clears up. But if they're going to be introduced back into the community, two lives have to be brought to the priest, one of them killed, and the other one dipped in the blood of the bird that was killed and then let go. So on the one hand, you have a symbol. Uh, This disease could have taken your life. This bird needs to cover for you somehow. And then another bird that symbolizes, but you're free. (laughs) This bird gets to go free because it's covered in the blood of the one that didn't get to go free. One of them gets to have life because the other one had to get death. He didn't ask for it. He didn't steal anything. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't commit adultery. He wasn't breaking one of the Ten Commandments. He wasn't breaking any of the commandments. And so it pushes again. What if you have a skin disease? What if you have a diseased garment? You didn't put it there. Something needs to be killed. And then not only that, verse 10 of chapter 14, three lambs need to be brought for atonement. Three lambs? (laughs) I didn't do anything. 
three lambs for the specific purpose of atonement. It pushes into homes, chapter 14, verses 33 to 57. We won't read them, but again, if there's mildew or something decaying, some kind of disease, quote-unquote, in your walls, you might say, well, didn't, weren't they living in tents? Yeah, but eventually they get into the land and they start constructing homes. And if there's a mildewy home, that's not just kind of an American like, ew. God is like, no, you need to try to patch the wall, replaster it or something, but if he keeps spreading, it's still there. You dismantle the home and take those pieces out of the camp. Get it out. It's diseased. What happens if you have a diseased home? Two birds. Two birds. Yeah, we're still in chapter 14. So why is this happening? Why is God communicating this separation for things that aren't even their fault? And some will say, well, this is for health and hygiene. If somebody's diseased, get that out. If you have a diseased garment, you don't want that spreading. If you have a diseased home, you don't want that spreading. And so it was a way to keep Israel healthy. That's true in part. But that, that can't be the answer. And the reason why that can't be the answer is because if it were just that, God would have listed more diseases. Why is it just skin diseases? Why not other kind of diseases? Surely there were other kinds of diseases. He's, he, he's sticking to skin diseases. So it can't just be health reasons. Another reason why it can't just be health reasons is because that still doesn't answer why atonement is needed. If it's just, look, when somebody's sick, quarantine them so everyone else doesn't get sick. Why atonement? Because it's not just about being sick. It's about the, what it communicates about being in God's presence. What it communicates about our inability to be in God's presence. Even for things that we immediately don't feel like are our fault. You can't think, this week I did something. No, it's just disease. Last push is chapter 15. Kind of gross. Not only does God require atonement for deliveries of babies. And not only does he require it for diseases, whether it be your skin or your fabric or your home, but he also requires it for discharges. He opens up by talking about male discharges. This is bloody, runny stuff. Scholars go back and forth on what exactly this is speaking to, some kind of disease that results in some kind of bloody, chronic discharge from the male. And that's verses 1 through 15. And then it gets worse, verses 16 and 18. It talks about the male issuing procreative fluid. What's wrong with that? God made it, didn't he? Well, maybe it just means outside of intimacy with the wife. No, and then it says, even if it's in intimacy with the wife, you're unclean. Well, that doesn't seem fair at all. I thought Scripture teaches bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, that physical intimacy is supposed to be something beautiful. It's not yucky, it's not dirty. 
within the confines of marriage, it's something that is good. In fact, later, the Apostle Paul tells spouses not to withhold it from each other. Why would you withhold each other from each other? Something that's good. It's good. If you're burning for it, be married. But here, even if this happens in the context of intimacy in the home, it results in uncleanliness. Now, it doesn't have 15 verses of how to fix it and all that. It's, it's, the bar is a little lower. You're unclean until the evening. Bathe and you're good. <laughs> There's no pigeons and stuff like that. But, but it's still there. And you can imagine how often somebody might be unclean until the evening. It's a part of life, this constant communication that they cannot just be in God's presence. And a lot of these things are being communicated in ways that have nothing to do with sin. A sinful action is not involved here. Whether it's giving birth, whether it's disease, whether it's chronic discharge. And then ladies, sorry, but menstruation is included in this chapter. That would leave the woman unclean until the evening. Anything that the woman sits on, anything that the woman touches is also contaminated. It's unclean. And she would need a period of cleansing plus seven days that she would have to count off. And then two birds. And both birds will have to be killed for atonement. That's in verses 28 to 30. So the atonement is what blows my mind in these chapters. It's not just about hygiene, and it's not just about quarantining, but it's about being in God's presence and having to be covered by the death of something else for us to be able to approach God. And that death of something else isn't only for crimes, but situation. And I may not be able to link my situation to a particular action that I did this week. So atonement is necessary for unclean, not just in animals, but for humans, the humans' garments and the humans' houses, and how humans relate to one another, even in the context of marital intimacy. I think the reason why we see this is because God is communicating that defilement of holiness isn't just connected to daily personal sin. God is communicating that the defilement of His holiness comes from something else that is beyond what you can tie to a particular rebellious sin that you did or do. So the key verse here, I think, is the end of chapter 15, verse 31. We'll read it. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So again, they don't have to repent for this kind of uncleanness, but they can't approach God in this kind of uncleanness. He's not tying it to something they did. He's tying it to the fact that they can't waltz in His presence like that. He's not saying it's your fault He's saying it's not possible.
for you to be in my presence in that condition. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's tied to personal sin. But with these chapters he's communicating, sometimes it's outside of your personal control. Even if you don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to do something that puts me outside of God's presence, you're still outside of God's presence. It's your situation. That might be a hard pill to swallow. I think there are a couple angles to this that will help us understand it better. I think on the one hand, it's just the symbolism of it. It's what dirtiness communicates. As you read these chapters, none of us are like, oh, mildew. Right? None of us are like, oh, flaky skin. What's wrong with that? Most of us would want to cover it up. Psoriasis, eczema, you want to lotion it. You don't want to just like, hey, check it out. Most of us have a little bit of a, hmm, hmm, don't want to touch that. It's yucky. He's not picking, you know, flowers. It's stuff that we find kind of gross. And so symbols are fitting to what they symbolize. When something signifies something else, it, it, it relates in somehow. And so God is saying, it's not just your individual personal sin that makes you yucky to be in my presence. There's a, a, a greater backdrop of yuckiness that is beyond just the sin you did last night, today, this morning. It can be that, but it's bigger than that. Especially in this weather, some of you may have somebody, some friends over, and before they come in with their slushy, muddy, dirty boots, dragging in snow and dirt and debris into your house, into your carpets that you just cleaned, many of you, maybe most of you, especially dependent on certain cultures, will have your guests remove their shoes to walk in the house. Now, you're not communicating, you dirty person, get those shoes off. can't believe you walk around in dirt. What is wrong with you? You dare not enter the cleanliness of my house with your nasty, dirty shoes, you nasty person. Nobody's communicating that. You're not communicating that. But you can't help the fact, neither can the guest, help the fact that white carpet and dirty slush don't mix. You, 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 that would be foolish. Some of that stuff's not going to come out. That's dirty. That's nasty. It doesn't belong on a fresh, freshly clean carpet. It just doesn't. And so this is kind of what we get in the symbolism here. God is not saying, it's only when you personally defy me, intentionally rebel against me, that you're on the out. It's your situation. You're tracking in stuff from out there in the world, that earthy world that you live in cannot be in my holy, heavenly presence. And so he's communicating it through the tent in their midst. On a deeper level, it communicates our lack of readiness to be in God's eternal presence. Now think about this. Here are the things that in these chapters make somebody defiled or unclean, and if they walk into God's presence, they defile God's sacred presence. Birth, diseases of the skin or of fabric or of house, bloody chronic discharges, discharge of procreative fluids, and menstruation. 
none of those things will be in eternity. None of us will ever enter God's presence with any of those things. There is no giving birth in eternity. There are no diseases in eternity. There are no bloody diseases, chronic discharges in eternity. There will be no creative, procreative fluids in eternity. There will be no menstruation in eternity. Some of you may quietly want to mutter an amen, particularly the women. Some of the married men might want to amen that. And so what this does, it starts picking on things, not everything, not every disease, but it picks on certain things to communicate what can't be in God's presence and never will be in God's presence. Regardless to whether you did something to produce it or not, it is your situation. And brothers and sisters, this is something that we have to grapple with as theologians, as readers of the Bible. We are not just guilty because you do something. You are guilty, I am guilty, because we did something in Adam. The reason why childbirth is so painful is not because you did something, but because of Adam. The reason why you die is not because you did something this morning. Is because you did something at the tree in the garden. And you might be like, well, that wasn't my fault, Romans 5. In Adam, we all sinned. Past tense. Whoa. That's not fair. I didn't bite the fruit. You're suffering from it, though. And the reason why you do the sins that you do is because you're a sinner. And the reason why you're a sinner is not because you grew up watching rated R movies. It's because you were conceived in sin, you were conceived in guilt, and you were born into a world that is dirty and unclean. And we walk around in it, and we live in it. And every time we get over a disease, every time we get the good report from the doctor, we celebrate for a minute, but then we're reminded, it just buys us a little time. You're still on your way to death. This is why your eyes are getting worse, and your knees hurt more. This is why your hair turns gray. Because we're on this way to death. Now, why are we on this way to death? I thought that I'm forgiven. You see, there's this other realm of guilt and condemnation that we share as a people. And it's tied not to the individual daily sin that you commit, but it's tied to this bigger situation that leaves us unclean. Well, Scripture teaches now we have a choice. We can go, but that's not fair. I didn't ask for the disease. I didn't ask to live in this world. I didn't ask. I didn't ask. Well, that will leave you on the outside. <laughs> but if you say, okay, I don't totally get it. The whole, if I were God, I don't know if I'd do it that way thing. Don't play that game. But whether or not we can completely comprehend it, we need to grapple with what God is communicating about what it takes to be in His presence. Now, here's why I don't think these things are random things. Not only because they won't exist in eternity, but because each of these things relates to life and death. Notice that it is the, not the delivery of the child that makes the woman unclean, but it is the, the blood that pours out 
in relation to, in connection with the birth of the child. So the issue is not the child. The issue is not the birth. The issue is not procreation. The issue is the blood. It's the fluid. And blood represents life. And life is kind of being spilt out. And in the, in the Hebrew notion, you lose blood, you're not whole. She's incomplete somehow. So she needs to recover from it. Diseases of the skin, for example, display what looks to be decay on the outside. That particular patch of your arm looks corpse-like. That's why it's gross. And so it's flaky, pussy, it looks like rotting flesh. So it relates to what looks like loss of life heading toward death. Bloody chronic discharges, same thing. It has to do with blood. Procreative fluids? Why procreative fluids and not any other kind of fluid? Because that particular kind of fluid is supposed to give life. It has to do with life and death. Menstruation, blood, same issue. So what God is communicating here is the, the, the subject of life and death, the fragile nature of it, the sacred nature of it, that to come into God's presence, you cannot come into God's presence with any other blood except for the blood that atones for you. And blood coming out of you can't do it. You need something else to do it. So what we're hearing from God in these chapters is that in the fall, not the season, but the fall that we've all experienced in Adam, falling short of God's glory, that fall is greater than just personal daily sin, but it's, it has wrapped up in our cursedness. And it's wrapped up in the cursed world in which we live. This whole earth is groaning for God's uh, redemption. And so we long for a holistic renewal that is more than just, I forgive you of your sin. It's beyond that. It's the fact that God has to take care of aging. He has to take care of diseases. He has to take care of death. He has to take care of this whole thing. You don't come to Christ and suddenly become immortal. We're still experiencing the, the, the effects of the curseness in which we live. And yes, you come to Christ, He forgives you, but you haven't experienced the full blessing of that forgiveness yet until you adopt immortal bodies, which is a promise. So this passage pushes us not just back away from God, but to help us understand that we need something more than a pat on the back that says you're forgiven. We need a holistic renewal. This entire earth needs to be renewed. You know, when you read the New Testament and Jesus heals lepers with a touch, the lepers with the disease, they don't disease him. His touch removes the disease from them. Now, why, why do the gospel authors emphasize those episodes. It's emphasizing the same thing that this passage is emphasizing. Because the lepers in the Gospels represent our uncleanness, our lack of preparation to be in God's presence. How do we get prepared to be in God's presence? The touch of Jesus Christ, that's how. I love the imagery of those two birds because Jesus is the two birds, is he not? Jesus is one and the same. Jesus takes the death and he flies away free. Birds can't do it. Two birds can't even do it. 
Three lambs can't do it. But the one who comes to dwell in our broken and cursed world as a sinless, spotless lamb of God, he takes death, and after taking death, walks away free so he can lead us into that freedom. As he leads us into that freedom, we experience a life now where we do not have condemnation over us, but we still suffer the effects of this world. But we won't always. These texts produce a longing in your heart for a world where there's no yucky stuff, where we're free from disease, and we don't we don't track things into God's presence. Everything is God's presence in the new earth. That's amazing. So we wrestle with things now that don't tie immediately. If you get a bad report from the doctor, you're not supposed to go home and go, man, what did I do? What did I do that I now have cancer? That's not the right question. The rest of us who don't have cancer should be asking, why don't I have cancer? That's the real moral dilemma. How in the world are any of us walking around not cancerous? Because we are in a broken world and we have mortal, decaying bodies. We haven't yet reached that stage of glorification where God will renew the whole earth and renew your body. Heaven, the new earth, heaven is a temporary place. Then there's an experience of the new earth and it's physical. You'll get your body back. Different. Imperishable. No skin diseases. Good eyesight. You can wear glasses like my youngest does. There's, there's no prescription. She just likes glasses. You can wear glasses to be cool. You won't need them. Okay. And so when you look at these texts, you go, yeah, uh, not our fault. Not, not tied to everything that we do, but yeah, yeah. God's presence is so holy and so pure. We need to be completely redeemed from all of the the ramifications of what happened in the garden before we can be in his presence. And that's not a bad thing. That's an awesome thing. To eventually be like that second bird because of what happened to the first bird. Folded into Christ's sacrifice, we're going to experience, as Christ has, glorified bodies. And we will live in eternity in glorified bodies states. God needs to get us there because if he doesn't, we cannot dwell in his presence. Arthritis doesn't belong in God's presence. So God needs to remove it. We don't just walk away feeling guilty. We walk away feeling hopeful because that's awesome. None of us want that. And that's a great thing to take a hold of. This text, I'll close with this. It pushes on you to have an eternal perspective, doesn't it? Because if all of our energy is consumed in just sort of, you know, measuring the do's and don'ts of our lives and not understanding that it's a lot bigger than that, we miss out on that holistic uh, side of redemption. And when we miss out on that, we, we don't know how to hope for the next life. We don't know how to approach our doctor's appointments. We don't know how to really deal with disease, death, and suffering, and aging because we really don't have that holistic perspective. And we might feel tempted to think maybe God is judging me because of what I'm going through right now. It's not impossible. 
But it's not always the case. We just live in a messed up world. And our bodies are messed up. Those can't be in God's presence. So we look forward to holistic renewal and our glorified state provided to us by the atonement that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.